Thank you. Well, the honor is truly mine. We're so delighted to be here in this great atmosphere of thanksgiving and praise. And it seems as though the word love has come very strongly tonight. And uh, we do need to remind ourselves his banner over us tonight is love. And he loves us incredibly, doesn't he? He's poured out his love upon us. I love doing these kind of things, and I've done a few through the years, and it's a delight when, within the ground level network, you've been able to watch over a fairly long period of time development, and sometimes that development has started with a handful of people in a, in a front room somewhere, and then two or three years later, more have been added, then there's a, a small building that's hired, and it's a delight, actually, that a number of our church. It's strange, when we first began, we were trying to get rid of buildings, and we uh, were meeting in homes, and we were really eager that we weren't just religious people that came to church, and we were looking for the church to be people. I think we've got that. We understand that now, but we're also coming to a place where buildings actually, uh, in today's world, are quite important, and so I believe this building is important, um, having a look around, this is my first visit. I think it's a fabulous building. It's very different. It's got a great feel about it. A remarkable car park, may I say, because uh, most buildings, we in Lincoln, one of our big problems is no car parks, and you have to pay to come to church on Sunday, so you've got to be really committed if you've got a car. And so it's with joy that I uh, come to share with you. Uh, for anyone that is, uh, knows me at all, they'll know that perhaps my favorite book in the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Ezra for years have been uh, books that I've looked into, and of course, uh, they're to do with the rebuilding of the temple, and the whole picture of uh, the temple being restored. But I see Nehemiah far more than just about buildings, it's about restoring a people. It's about uh, the restoring of worship. The first thing that was rebuilt in the days of Nehemiah was the altar. And an altar speaks of personal devotion to God. And that's what we seek to build, isn't it? An altar to the Lord where we as human beings come together to worship the living God. And then there's a rebuilding of the temple, which speaks in New Testament terms for me of the church, the importance of the church. I believe that the church really is the hope for this world. I believe the hope for our nation is wrapped up in uh, often small groups of people that are the body of Christ in, a, in an area, and they are more influential than we, we can ever realize. If you look into what the church is doing in our land at this time, in difficult days, in days of change, the church is doing remarkable things in terms of care and support into neighborhoods and so on. And then the third thing that's rebuilt, of course, is the walls of Jerusalem. And Irene and I have the privilege of uh, tomorrow night driving down to Luton and so Friday we're, we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to Israel for, for a week and, uh, and so we'll be going to uh, Jerusalem and I'm reminded of God's purposes, God's plans across the earth wrapped up in a people that are brought to him, God being among his people. And, and so the book of Nehemiah is about building and work, and um, 
Uh, but it's more about what God's doing in terms of building a people like Jesus. And uh, so I'm not going to speak from Nehemiah, but I'm going to speak from a prophecy and a prophetic book that refers a lot to the rebuilding of the temple. It's the book of Haggai. And so I'm just going to take some principles uh, this evening that I hope will be helpful with regard to Haggai. And the thought I have here as we look at just a few verses together from Haggai, it's this thought. In the Old Testament, God uses his prophets to activate his people. They challenge things like complacency, unrighteousness, inactivity. And Haggai comes to the people of God and he begins to challenge them. And I guess the book of Haggai could be summed up with this, that Haggai's desire is to build God's house. And I was thinking uh, within the framework of what God has been doing over the years in Grimsby, prophetic ministry has been very important. Hearing God speak into our lives when in the natural things didn't look as they were, they were going to happen. And Haggai comes and he begins to speak into the life of the people of God and he begins to challenge them. And he talks about the house of the Lord, but actually he's talking about hearts that are being turned to God so that the house of the Lord is not just wrapped up with buildings, but the house of the Lord is people. Uh, this was not just to do with the rebuilding of the temple, but it was to do with the people's commitment and their relationship with God. And so in Haggai chapter 1, he asks the people some pretty probing questions. In chapter, four and verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, the prophet says this, he asks the question, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin. The first probing question to the people is this. Are you just interested in yourself, in the things that you're building, in your own family life, in making sure that you prosper, or have you a heart for the house of God? So he starts quite strongly. And then he says to the people, you've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. It's like inflation's high. You're losing uh, everything that you're placing. Uh, your resources are being drained from you. And so he's saying to the people, um, is it right that you are building your own homes and making sure that you're comfortable when actually all the resourcing, all the things that you're putting your efforts into, they're, they're not actually bringing too many results. And he goes on to say uh, in, in verse 9, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. So he paints this picture of a people that are committed to building their own lives, but actually, they're not uh, flourishing, they're not in blessing, and so he asks the question, why? And the answer come, comes, because of the house of the Lord, which is in ruins. And so, there is this challenge uh, on the people of God, challenging their priorities. And I do believe in this day, uh, we're in a, a place where all of our priorities are being challenged. And of course, when we're talking of buildings, we know, we've already mentioned this, that the church is not a building. 
However, can I say this? Spiritual realities need earthing and building in practical situations. Heaven actually needs to come to earth. And through the centuries, this has been uh, shown through the building of places for God's people to meet in, from village chapels to great cathedrals. And therefore, I do believe that, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Somehow, all that we love and all that we stand for needs to be earthed in this earth. And therefore, buildings can become wonderful things where you actually put your feet on ground and say, we claim this for God. And we say that our Christian faith is not just about the sweet future, now uh, the stuff in the, that's it, the sweet by and by. I knew there was something there. But it's to do with the here and now and the earth, and therefore buildings can become very, very important. As, as uh, Dave said, on Sunday night, I had the honor of speaking in uh, uh, Liverpool Cathedral, which is the largest cathedral space in Europe. So I was kind of intimidated, a little bit nervous. But the, the beautiful thing is that whether it's vast cathedrals or buildings like this or even uh, small chapels, there's a statement made uh, where that which is in heaven we want to see earthed. And so can I join David in saying a huge congratulations on getting this building. I know you've been in for a year in some form or other, and therefore it might not feel that this is some kind of official opening. But I, I want to say a huge congratulations because I know that in any building project, it's time, it's effort, it's a lot of hard work, it's sweat and tears, and, uh, and it's a really big thing that you've done. It's meant commitment, it's meant sacrifice, and I commend you for it because I, I know something of what that costs, and so many of you have served in that way, so you are to be congratulated. But tonight, from the book of Haggai, I just want to speak about three important things uh, that I can see in the book of Haggai that I hope will be helpful into the life of the church here. They're simple things, but I think they're in the text. And the first thing is this, don't dwell on the past. Don't dwell on the past. It's a strange thing for me to say when you've just come into this beautiful building. Uh, you would expect that everything's to do with the here and now and the future. But I've found in life that as you get older, you can very quickly move from the prophetic to the nostalgic, where you begin to look to the past. And some of the older ones here may from time to time say, well, it's good what's happening today, but it's not like it used to be. And there's a sense within the book of Haggai that Haggai challenges us not to live in the past. In chapter 2 and verse 3, he says to the people, who of you saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? That's because uh, about 70 years uh, before this, there was the destruction of Solomon's temple, which was far grander, far bigger than the new temple that was being built. And some of the older people that are, spe are hearing the words of Haggai may well remember you know, in our day, it was bigger and it was better. It was more grand. It was more wonderful. And so the prophet comes and says, 
don't dwell on the past. There were good things in the past. There's a great history. But the new temple was not going to outwardly have such a grand design as Solomon's temple. And there is always the danger of looking back to the good old days and in some ways not giving ourselves fully to what God is doing in the present. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10 says, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. I love that. It's a little phrase, a little uh, wise saying from Ecclesiastes. It's not wise to keep looking back. And I'm preaching to myself here because I, uh, you know, the more you do, the more happy memories you have of past days. And sometimes when you've been through some disappointments, and uh, there may have been people that were walking with you in the past who are no longer walking with you. Um, and sometimes we can get into little pity parties when we start to think of people that may be in our, our opinion letters down or whatever. I remember on at least three occasions, people saying to me, whoever leaves you, I'm with you 100%. Those three are no longer walking with me. So whenever somebody says 100%, I say, can you make it 96, please? Because it's almost as though in that prophetic word, there's a little sense that if you promise too much and don't deliver, it can be a hurtful thing. So often we look back and the disappointments of the years bring us to a place where we actually, if we're not very careful, can say it's not like it used to be. I find this when people talk about revivals. They talk about, you know, if only we'd been around in the New Testament days. If only we'd been around in the days of Wesley's. Two weeks ago, Irene and I, three weeks ago, Irene and I were uh, uh, privileged to go to a, the site of a revival in uh, the state of Kentucky uh, in America. It was called the Cane Ridge Revival. Now, some of you may not even have heard of that. It's really worth Googling because Dr. R.T. Kendall says it's perhaps one of the greatest revivals of the Great Awakening and uh, I, uh, Irene and I, usually when we go on a holiday, we try to find a revival trail. Sad, isn't it? We kind of try and find a revival trail, something that God's done. So we've, we've followed some of the Wesley's things. Um, uh, we've been uh, looked at the Moravians. Uh, we went to um, uh, New England and saw Whitfield's burial place and stood by David Brainard's grave. And some of you are thinking, sad man. But, um, but all of the time, I don't believe trying to, in a sense, uh, go back, but to begin to say, Lord, what you've done in the past, will you do it again? And so this time we had the privilege of, of finding this place called Cane Ridge. Now, at Cane Ridge, we had a five-hour trip into the most rural part of America I think I've been in. No houses, not, nothing for about five hours. And we get to this um, grass area, basically, with lots of picnic uh, area and, uh, and, and trees. And in among the trees is an old wooden meeting house. It was the largest uh, wooden meeting house that the Presbyterians uh, put up in uh, 1801, I believe it was. And this old building remains as it was when this outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place. It has a kind of a church over it or a, um, a structure over it. And we went into this, this building and, and um, 
you know these things are very subjective, but we're walking around the grounds and there was this wonderful sense of peace, almost a sense of the presence of God. And this happened in 1801. But the fascinating thing was this. Um, into that uh, rural area, about a tenth of the entire state, uh, in those days Kentucky was part of Virginia, so a tenth of Virginia arrive for meetings in this area. They estimate between 20 and 30,000 people arrived for camp meetings. It was very, very different because around seven or eight preachers at the same time preached. Now, don't get too nervous about it. Not inside of the meeting. Some were inside. Some were stood on stumps of trees. Some were on carts, and they're preaching and so on. But the reason I want to mention this tonight, I've never seen this before. Uh, with regard to the Cane Ridge Revival, three things apparently were very important, and they all start with E, which makes me feel really good. And the first thing is it was an ecumenical move. It was started by the Presbyterians, but all denominations came together, and they had preachers from different denominations that were working together. So it was... Uh, ecumenical. Secondly, it was Eucharistic, and this was the bit that I'd never heard before. Apparently, the power of God invaded that campsite uh, with the climaxing of breaking of bread. It wasn't the worship or the preaching, though that was powerful, but when they broke bread together, there was a depth of unity that was felt where the presence of Christ became so strong that people were so convicted of sin that they couldn't sleep until they came to faith in Christ. There was this remarkable move of the Spirit marked out by this unity, uh, marked by the breaking of bread. I mustn't go too much on this because I've got a message to preach, but um, the... You know, in the early church, there were four foundational things that were very, very, very important. There was the apostolic doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And I, for one, felt that in what I represent, breaking of bread had become a kind of appendage to a meeting uh, and hadn't been lifted to the height that I think breaking of bread represents with the receiving of all that Christ has done in his death and resurrection, shared among his people with the, the unity that brings the blessing of God. Because God commands a blessing where there's unity. And so I believe that it's so vitally important that uh, we don't just look back on past revivals. We don't just look back in our own lives at blessings that have happened. We can tell the stories of them. But ladies and gentlemen, let's not dwell on the past or want to be in the past. The past is past. Don't dwell on the past. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. So I come back from Cane Ridge Revival. I don't want to go back to 1801, but I do want those ancient wells redigging, don't you? where today we know the presence and power of God in the reality that some of our forefathers saw it. So don't dwell on the past. Secondly, embrace the present. Embrace the present. 
Haggai is saying, for some of you, you're disappointed because you're looking back and it doesn't seem as grand or as great uh, as it was in the past. But he begins to tell the, the people of God to embrace the present. And I believe that we need to live in the present, trusting that God will supply everything we need along the journey of life. And right the way through this book, you find that this will require strength and courage. And this is what I want to say into the present that we're all in today. I believe that God wants us, as followers of Jesus, to be strong. He wants us, uh, in fact, I'll just use the verses that Haggai shares. Verse 4 of chapter 2. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel. He was one of the administrators behind this uh, rebuilding program. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua, uh, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you. And we desperately need his presence, don't we? And we can look back and we can, can see the presence of God in past revivals, but we say today, Lord, we need your presence desperately today. And I believe the word over this church and over every individual here is be strong, be strong, keep going, keep your faith. Don't back down, for I am with you, says the Lord. Verse 5 says, do not fear. And it talks about the Lord Almighty. If the Lord is almighty, you do not need to fear. There may be shaking, there may dis be disruption. We may even in our lifetime find that there's a major shaking in our land. But the word comes to us today. And in the rebuilding that takes place among us, do not fear. Do not fear. Then verse 8 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. As God has provided for you in the past, he will continue to provide for every need that you have. And again, what a wonderful testimony to say debt-free. That's remarkable, isn't it? When you look at, at this building and you look at the property, don't you think it's remarkable that we can say debt-free? Why? Because God has done a wonderful thing. So remember, you, you might be thinking, we've had enough of all this money raising and stuff. No, the silver is mine, God says. The gold is mine. It's not a hassle to God. I believe in this Christian faith thing. you just got to keep on going. What is it that marks people out as, as, as people that make it in life? It, it's they keep going. There's something about just putting one foot uh, ahead of the other, uh, of being consistent, of keep on going on. And so don't dwell on the past. Embrace the present. And you can all tell me point three very easily. Thirdly, invest in the future. Invest in the future. You see, often after building programs, we step back and we want to settle. It's a natural thing. You think, you know, we've put all this energy in. I think we could do with a bit of a rest. And that was the kind of thinking that was possible when the temple's being rebuilt and everything is back in order. But Haggai, as a prophet, is coming and saying, no, please don't settle. Don't get used to this. There's more. Don't just think because you've entered a new season that there's not more uh, to come from God. 
You see, the provision of buildings is always for the fulfilling of the purpose and the mission that God has given you as a church. The building isn't the end result. You've heard that from, from Dave tonight. And there are promises ahead. And so as Haggai speaks to the people, some looking back, some struggling and therefore need to hear the word be strong. But he speaks to those people about the promises that are ahead. And so in verse 7 he says, I will fill this house with glory. I will fill this house with glory. If there is a prophetic bit, I'll come back to that because I believe this is a promise of God over this church. I'll fill this house with glory. And verse 9 says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Now you might say, we never had a former house. This is not to do with bricks and mortar. But I want to say the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. When Haggai spoke that to the people of God, the glory of the second temple was to be the starting point for the New Testament form of the kingdom of God. Jesus was going to enter into this temple. It didn't look as great as the Solomon temple. It was not outwardly as impressive. But the glory was when Jesus entered the temple. And it's all, isn't it, about Jesus. Jesus would personally appear in this rebuilt temple. And the prophet says, I'm going to fill this house with glory. And the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And then one final word. In this place, I will grant peace, says Haggai. So here's my question as I conclude and then we'll pray. What glory is ahead for this church? I believe we all must continue to invest in the house of the Lord. And I say this for the sake of our children and our grandchildren and those that are coming in the days that are ahead. Those that are yet not born, we are here today. Because we want to be firmly in the purposes of God. To see our nation turned round. And the gospel running through the streets of our land. What glory is ahead for this church? What faith are you carrying for even greater measure? Is there a burden in your heart to see this people expand to the left and to the right? Is there something that says we're going to see Grimsby turned round for Jesus? When I was thinking about Grimsby, and I know people say things about, you know, our area. But when I was thinking about who Jesus chose. You know, when Jesus chose his disciples, he didn't go down to pick up the intellectual group in Jerusalem. The thinkers and the philosophers, those with great ideas... And actually the word Pharisee means a one who is separate. These were people that didn't get community. They didn't get relational Christianity. So Jesus didn't go there. He went to the Sea of Galilee and he started with some fishermen. And uh, I don't want to be just cute and, and say a few things. But listen, I believe God is as likely to work with the roots of the fisher industry of Grimsby 
He is, this is the kind of region where Jesus loves to choose disciples. I firmly believe it. I believe God's going to move down the East Coast in ways we have never seen before. I believe, I believe we're working with a prophetic word that right up the A1, north to south, either side there's going to be the presence and the move of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, you see, I'm a bit of a student of revival, not just because it's a little quaint thing to do, but to learn some of the lessons of history. And some of those lessons are those that are devoted to God, committed to his purposes, those that will not just be interested in building their own families and having their own paneled houses. God's looking for pioneer people who will sacrifice again. And he's looking for people that want to be full of the Holy Spirit and they want to be people of the Word. And so, I'm getting a bit preachy, so I'm going to pray. But may God move in this ancient fishing town for his glory. For his glory. Okay, let me pray. I believe that really God is saying that this place will be a place of refuge. It will be a place of care for the needy. It will be a place where friendship can be found. It will be a place where the marginalized will be brought in. It will be a place where messiness becomes a major possibility. It will be a place where the presence of God is known, but it will be known through a gathering, a heart that is filled with care and compassion and concern. This place will be marked out by love. Love and compassion will be the hallmark of this place, even a place of refuge, says the Lord. A place of safety where people will know that when they come among this people, they are safe, they're secure. And I believe that God is saying it's time in this house for family life to grow and to develop strongly. That God will bring you, this is not just talking natural family, this is talking of the family of God, where there will be a genuine oneness through the work of Jesus Christ where you will stand with one another, where you will know that there's a person to the left and, the per and a person to the right, where you will know that you will not be talked about when you're out of the room. For this will be a place where family life is honored. This will be a place where unity becomes strong. And I want to just say over you, break bread and begin to ask God for a revelation of what that might mean among you. For as you break bread and remember the body of Christ, so broken relationships will be mended. For God says, I don't want a people that have their own personal agendas where they're wanting to just build their own paneled houses. But God says, I want you to have a heart for my house. And as you have a heart for the house of the Lord, all the things that you are longing for, as you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added to you. The things that you long for in the natural will come your way if you begin to prioritize God first, God first, God first. And so I just say to each one of you, walk humbly before God and be strong. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, 
In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. For your future path is a very, a very exciting adventure, says the Lord. There is yet more territory to, ta- to take. There are more houses. There are more rooms. There are more places of opportunities right across this area that God will place before your attention. And for some of you, you've got to walk into them. And as you place your feet on new territory, new territory, new territory, so God will bring about growth and blessing. And in this town, says the Lord, there's going to be a marked work of God, a place that's marked out by refuge and safety. Just as in the Old Testament there were cities of refuge, so this place will become a safe place, says the Lord. A place where the lonely can find friendship. A place where the hurting can find that they're going to be mended. The broken hearts are going to find a new level of strength and blessing. So be strong and courageous. And I just want to finally say that the glory, the glory is coming to this house. And that there will be greater glory than any former move that you have known. Uh, within your lifetime. For God uh, is looking for those who are ready and willing in the day of his power. Therefore, stand up, put yourself forward, be ready to work, be strong and courageous. Be strong, be strong, all you people of the land, and work For I am with you, says the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.